skin. I hear my heart beating within. I feel the spirit in the wind. Bigger than what I see in front of me. Deeper than the valleys below my feet. I'm in between two worlds that meet. Choosing sides, trying hard to justify. They lock the doors and stay inside. This is spiritual. It's not against flesh or blood. One heart, one mind, one love. It's time to rise up with the sun. This is a spiritual. Mi gente, mis hermanos en azules. Bienvenidos otra vez a mi podcast, Brownie and Blue, baby. Welcome back to my podcast, Brownie and Blue. Back with this episode, which is very in-depth talk about spirituality and how it relates to law enforcement. My guest, again, welcome back, Matt Domjancic, who also honored the show by being a guest on the episode titled Take Off Your Armor. Matt provides a much-needed approach to what spirituality means and encompasses and how it can help all law enforcement. Matt not only provides great spiritual knowledge, but provides practical applications and suggestions in developing or even heightening one's spiritual growth. Please Reach out to me at brownie3217 at gmail.com. That's brownie with IE3217 at gmail.com if you would like to have Matt's information. His email and some of the resources that he gives are also going to be provided in the show notes. Now let's get into this episode with Matt Domjancic. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Matt. Matt Domjancic was on the Take Off Your Armor episode um, that had a little bit of audio quality, so obviously we have fixed that now. And um, we touched on, at the very end of that episode, we touched on something that we are about to do on this episode, which I think is gonna be dynamic, it's gonna be in depth, and it's gonna be very interesting. Um, and it's going to be relating to spirituality. So, Matt, if you can just do a real quick, real quick rundown of your resume real fast, and then get into the first question, which is, who are you trying to reach, and who is this episode for? Okay. Uh, Quick rundown. I am a medically retired police officer. I was a cop in Connecticut. Um, for a few years, and also a full-time strength conditioning coach at Yale, where I also did sports ministry with Athletes in Action. Uh, moved to the D.C. area, repeated an academy, worked for your agency, a very pretty large agency. I worked patrol, peer support, supplemental SWAT, and full-time academy instructor for physical fitness and officer survival. At the same time, I was also a strength coach at Georgetown University and running a sports ministry there for the athletes. Um, After medical retirement, lots of adventures with a lot of dark times, medical problems, legal problems over medical care, financial problems. Um, But the long and short of it now is I do police chaplain and peer support. 
type work for some agencies as well as a PTSD treatment facility and nonprofits like Wounded Blue and Copline and basically just full-time devotion to uh, taking care of first responders, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, wellness. I have a master's in forensic science under Dr. Henry Lee, a master's in sports psychology under Dr. Ken Revisa, a master's in pastoral theology, uh, pretty much under Father Jim Clark, who's a, a real guru in contemplative spirituality, spiritual direction, psychology, and masculine spirituality and psychology. I have additional training in something called spiritual direction, which is the integration of spirituality, contemplative and meditation type practices, and a lot of depth or analytical psychology. Um, and since retirement, I've also done, in addition to the strength coach work with the colleges, um, a few, three years of doing strength and conditioning and sports psychology work for NFL combine athletes, as well as some high school, college, and Olympic athletes. That's sort of the quick rundown. Um, so, so quickly, that, that right there is a very uh, extensive background. And I'm just going to reiterate um, the question. So we talked about spirituality in the last one. We I mean, we barely even touched it. We mentioned yeah. the word spirituality. Um, so go ahead and talk about, because of the chaplain and because of all the background that you have from a sense of spirituality, go ahead and tell the listeners like why we decided and who is this podcast for? Okay, so we, we started to get into some spiritual and faith stuff and MC here said, hey, maybe we should do a podcast on uh, the more popular Bible quotes that police officers get tattoos or, you know, things like that. And I was like, oh, my God, if, if we do a podcast on Bible quotes, well, first of all, there's over 30,000 different Christian denominations. And within even one denomination, we could take a scripture quote and ask 100 pastors in that denomination and get 100 different interpretations. And it would also narrow it down probably to like, super pumped up, already hardcore practicing Christian cops. So I think it would like eliminate a lot of the cops I'm interested in, which is all police officers. So my hope is that this discussion today is for all police officers and law enforcement officers, whether they claim to be religious or not, or from, you know, any different religious tradition, not just Christianity, or if they are a Christian from whatever denomination, that they're going to find something that might be able to help them find more meaning in their law enforcement career. And I think what's most important to me is the cops that don't consider themselves to be religious or spiritual in any sense. Um, I met so many amazing cops that to me are deeply spiritual and maybe even walking more Christ-like than people I know that go to church every Sunday, but they've been turned off, traumatized, or turned away from the faith for a variety of reasons. And that breaks my heart. And, you know, I hope that they will hang in there and just give this podcast a shot, uh, give us a chance to maybe reach them in some way. It's a, I think it's definitely a needed thing in law enforcement and for people to hear this aspect, right? So is this a, in a sense, a witness of Christianity to listeners or is this more of a inclusive, broader topic on spirituality? A much, much broader topic. Like I said, I have friends, cops and otherwise, that claim to be agnostic or even atheist. 
that have had discussions with me about this type of stuff and find it useful. Um, and I think if somebody's Jewish or Hindu or Muslim, that these are things they could apply to their faith too. So um, it's not just for Christians. And I think spiritual formation, at least in Christianity, can be too much about getting and defending our ticket to heaven, which makes us focus on following the rules, which is like a moral, like focusing so much on the morality. And also people get hung up on comparing my church doctrine to, to yours and to others who interpret the Bible more correctly. And as we know, a lot of people are absolutely convinced that their particular denomination or mega church or whatever pastor they like is, you know, more correct than yours. And you got to defend that ticket to heaven. And the ego can't stand it uh, <laughs> if they think, our our egos think that we're risking our ticket to heaven. So people like lock it down into their, their favorite denomination or pastor or church. So this is not about salvation. This is not about judging others on their spiritual path. It's not about who's going to burn in hell on the day they physically die, uh, which I think that places too great an emphasis on the future to get to this place up in the sky with an old bearded white guy. And we miss out on daily opportunities to see God or divinity and everything and everyone around us. You know, every day is a chance to be close to divinity, to sacredness, to the holy, to God, if you believe in God. And not just when we're in a, a scripture study, church, mosque, synagogue, temple, or other religious service. So this is, this is incredible because um, I am a example of kind of getting trapped in this conceptual box that you've talked about as far as Christianity. And I've also had these debates with people um, when I was in law enforcement with other quote unquote Christians, and we would get in debates in, on doctrinal positions. Did God save you or did you choose God? Um, can you choose God? All these different questions, you know, should there be women preachers? I mean, all types of doctrinal positions where ultimately it was more of a divide than it was a uniting thing, right? So. Um, as a chaplain and a peer support person, you know, if this isn't about salvation in the aspect of spirituality, you know, what, what should be the spiritual formation more focused on with law enforcement? Well, I think spiritual formation is lacking in most religious settings as far as giving us the tools to deal with pain, suffering, the mysteries of life and death, dealing with darkness, confusion, and things that clearly are not fair or deserved by so many innocent people in our communities that we experience as cops. Um, and these are things that I believe that every cop enters like the spiritual realm, whether they consciously recognize it or not, because they're around such gnarly uh, in the trenches, human experiences, the most intense interactions that we can have with other human beings. I think cops see just like, you know, combat veterans see. And there's no way to be asking deeper questions about what is the meaning of this? And, you know, um, and for a lot of things, there's no answer. And there's no quoting the Bible or other sacred scripture from the other traditions that can easily pacify what we experience. But what religions, mainstream religions teach these days is more like 
baby food for following the rules to get to heaven, like I said, and that teaching us how to find the deeper meaning in things and work on the symbolic meaning and the unconscious stuff that's going on in our lives and even in the scriptures. I agree with you. Um, I think part of it is also these, as I've heard other people say it, is religiosity teaches certain aspects of just good and bad. And as you put it, and I've heard other people put it as milk toast, where it just kind of gives a framework of like good versus bad and versus evil, whatever the case is. So mm -hmm. when you talk to when you talk to other law enforcement officers within, you know, that frame, it turns people off. And I know that firsthand because I've done it. And I thought I was doing a righteous thing, right? That's the word, righteous. I thought I was doing the righteous witnessing thing to mm -hmm. present the word of God to this individual. So give me an example if you've had any of negative experiences with this type of religiosity with law enforcement. <laughs> I've had so many experiences in my life of people trying to convert or save me without even taking the time to get to know me, like even ask if I'm a Christian, um, or hearing some of my story and totally disregarding it, or wanting to find out what church I go to to narrow down my denomination so they can tell me why, you know, it's wrong, and just not listening or respecting what I said. I mean, it used to sort of hurt my feelings that so many Christians do this. Not, it didn't deter my spiritual journey or relationship with God, but because I know others who might not be on a set path and are still seeking can be totally deterred by someone pushing their brand of religion on them, which is in essence judging the faith tradition they were raised in and they only have experience in that were they were given to by their parents or the geographical area that they were raised. So in Connecticut, there were a lot of non-practicing Catholics as cops. And I'm, you know, I'm a cradle Catholic, but there was nobody in the two departments I worked for that really wanted to like have faith-based discussions. So when I was in the process for our department and I was in headquarters for something, I passed a major crimes detective who had a picture on his desk of a Bible and a pistol. And looking back now, I don't know what I think about that now. That might be kind of weird, but at the time I just thought it was cool because I was like, wow, this guy's not scared to like put his faith out there. So I struck up a conversation. He invited me to his church. Um, and it was a very charismatic or Pentecostal church where people were jumping up and yelling and people were speaking in tongues. And we went to uh, lunch afterwards at a diner in Reston. I remember this well. And he asked me if I had ever spoken tongues. And it's too much of a longer story about my spiritual journey. But I had already been on a like a 10 year investigation since undergrad of these different denominations and who's right, who's wrong, who's going to hell. Um, and I had exposure to the charismatic tradition many times before. So this was not new. Um, but his whole concern over lunch was that I need to pray to speak in tongues because otherwise I'm not saved or I don't have the Holy Spirit in me yet. And he had somebody from the Washington Redskins call me, which was cool because he knew I was a football guy. And I think I even went to a picnic with his church because I still wanted to be friends, you know, friends with him. But because I didn't continue going to his church or convert, 
Um, later on, you know, I worked in the busy district and major crimes was down there. I'd see him on scenes and then I'd see him when I was with peer support or on SWAT at a major incident. And that guy never talked to me. He would never acknowledge me after that. I tried to have like, Hey man, what's up? It wasn't even like we were brothers in blue and we definitely weren't brothers in Christ because I did not, you know, switch to his religion. And that's, that's just a bummer. It, it bums me out because I, of what I know that does to other people. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very authoritarian or dogmatic approach, right? And, and again, I echo exactly the same thing because I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Calvinistic approach of scripture. Um, I was in a church for about 16 years, 17 years, and that's what was preached. And the difference in that, it was the doctrinal position of God chose you, therefore there is nothing good of you. You did not choose God because you are so evil and you mm. are so, you're so evil that you can't even distinguish to choose God. You are diametrically opposed to God. So therefore, when God came into my life, it was all God's doing and nothing that I recognized. So therefore, anything after that, when I would do something good, let's say, uh, and be honest with you, witnessing, which for the listeners, witnessing would be talking about the word of God to somebody or, you know, presenting the word of God somehow to somebody, whether through scripture or whether through some anecdote. So when I was doing the witnessing, I thought I, you know, I gave credence and gave credit to the Holy Spirit, which was all of God's credit and nothing of me as a actual human being, because ultimately I can't do anything good. And the scriptures were used to, in a sense, satisfy that argument, which I fell through hook, line, and sinker. And I realized years later that my approach was all wrong. And I feel bad for the people that I witnessed to based on those things, because ultimately, ultimately, and I, it's not funny, but ultimately I wound up in a very bad situation with my department, which was the quote unquote bad witness to where these people could be like, ah, ha, ha, see this guy was witnessing to me about this and blah, blah, blah. And look at the example that he did. Mm -hmm. and so. Anyways, I was taught, just like you said, certain people are taught certain things because of their upbringing, family, culture, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. okay? And for whatever reason, I was taught, I, I went towards that, I, I, I gripped towards that Calvinistic approach of faith. Okay, so mm -hmm. that I can echo with what the experience of this gentleman, this detective did with you. Now, I never turned anybody off. I never was like, I'm never talking to you again. Um, but I, I have seen that and it's very unfortunate. So even though you are telling a negative aspect to this, can you mm -hmm. expound on any positives? With witnessing, yeah. Uh, our department had so many, and, and, and many departments that I work with now, so many amazing Christians. As, as well, like I said, 
there are deeply spiritual, big-hearted, alpha male guys that may not even be Christian that are deeply spiritual to me and that have had a huge influence on my life and I love being around. You know, our agency, starting in the academy, which I had to repeat another six-month academy, and in Connecticut, I already did in the barracks, six months, you had to live there, and I did two years at the Air Force Academy, military school, so, you know, I was over that. But I had two instructors that waited till the end of the academy. They were super professional, but my squad leader and one of the fitness instructors had some really good conversations with me, you know, when it, at the end of the academy about their faith life. Uh, as, as everybody knew that I was a Christian at the academy because I brought the New Testament, my Athletes in Action New Testament, as well as some spirituality books. And on breaks and at lunch, because I was so over it, my right, military school, another you know six months in the barracks police academy, here I go again. I wanted to lay low and mind my own business. So I read the New Testament from front to back and back to front and other spiritual books on breaks just to kind of ground myself. And so my squad leader and one of the, the, the instructors knew, the other people knew, but it was cool because, you know, I was in my, the bed of my pickup truck during lunch and this other prior cop from DC Capitol Police and who was a high school wrestling coach said, hey man, can I join you? Popped in the bed of my truck and he had his Bible. And so some of the other Christians just started naturally having informal discussions with me and Bible studies in the bed of my truck. Um, so started from the academy and actually the only one of the, one of the main reasons I'm in peer support is when I got to my station, one of the very devout officers who's now in the chief's office. And I thank God for that because I'm probably, I'm sure he's probably a great influence. He's the one that told me in his prayer life that I should join peer support. And I had no idea what it was because in Connecticut, I had never heard of that. So it was somebody that was a devout Christian in my station on the day shift, uh, you know, approached me about peer support. And I had so many amazing experiences on peer support in our agency. There's a lot of big events. We got to work police week. We got to work with that, uh, the, the children who uh, their parents were killed that we hosted them. Um, I even worked at Gallaudet University when the students there revolted because their president wasn't entirely deaf. Um, so peer support was a great experience that started because of another Christian police officer. And when I made SWAT, my primary two mentors turned out to be strong Christians. That meant a lot. So I've had innumerable experiences in our agency and even on calls and even now, um, with other Christians and deeply spiritual people that are unbelievably positive. So the positives outweigh the negatives. Which is key, right? Like that's what the takeaway is. That's why, that's why, in a sense, I think we're doing this podcast because it bolsters the positive and what needs to be and what needs to be the approach in long term. Um, so, Matt, we've talked about a different approach in spirituality and how it relates to law enforcement officers and the law enforcement culture, both positive mm -hmm. and negative, right? So what is different in the message you're bringing to light on this podcast? Like, what do you see as the needs that need to change in the approach? Well, one is going back to the upstream thing, which I won't repeat. 
But our religious traditions are failing to give us the appropriate training and spiritual formation to deal with the atrocities, the misery, and the suffering we see. And we know our police academies and agencies aren't going to fill in the gaps with that. And we all know the issues and statistics of mental health, addictions, substance abuse, suicide, divorce, as well as, well as physical illness, diseases, and a much shorter lifespan that cops experience at higher rates than other professions. And a lot of that's due to stress and expo exposure to all the negativity. But we don't provide the swimming lessons on how to psychologically and emotionally process and manage all of those things in a healthy way so that we can find meaning and learn lessons from our adversity and experiences and manage the stress in healthy ways. And as we spoke about before, the limited peer support and mental health resources available are primarily reactive. Let's wait until people are drowning, broken down, and hurting so bad they're struggling with addictions, suicidal ideation, IA investigation, divorce. And I think it's cool knowing that we're all going to swim in rough waters and be exposed to violence, abuse, murders, accidents, molestation, and you know what I would consider evil or darkness of all kinds, that we're not preparing our officers how to deal with it. So what I call the inner life or the spiritual life helps us find meaning, maintain a purpose, and grow through adversity, misery, and suffering. It also makes us more resistant to day-to-day -day stressors and have a more positive per perspective on life and more resilient to trauma. So if we don't do something, cops are gonna keep doing the typical, like, let's booze, let's buy toys, let's screw, and all those things that about sucking it up that are encouraged by salty veterans is cops numb, distract, and deny, you know, our feelings and our thoughts. But there's things we're going to see. When you see kids, women, elderly, or even animals, like abused, neglected, murdered, or just beautiful and innocent people suffering at the hands of criminals or accidents, like, what do you do with all that? If this stuff doesn't break your heart or make you experience a variety of emotions, I think you're lying to yourself because that stuff is going on somewhere. And that doesn't include the constant bashing, criticism, and judgment from the politicians, media. And these days are family and friends. And, you know, even the betrayal by our own supervisors and leaders that don't stick up for us when we're involved in a use of force incident, you know. Exactly. I mean, these are these are incredible examples of why the approach needs to change. Um, I, I completely agree because it's not a matter of just doing something in a reactionary way. It's a matter of how do we do this from the academy? I think you talked about that in the last episode where, you know, not to rehash, but the upstream approach is very key. Um, and that, that falls on the shoulders of a lot of leadership that goes into the academy. Um, so there's this, uh, you talked about this thing, inward, inner spirituality, and mm -hmm. internal mindset, right? It's an inward evaluation that goes along with spirituality. So provide what that uh, inner, inner work is and how important that is to law enforcement. And what are the examples of inner work, Matt? Well, uh, doing our inner work, having a healthy spiritual life, 
I, as part of being a healthy and responsible warrior, because when you don't manage the negative aspects of your job, your craft's going to leak out in your family life and personal relationships, as, as well as your calls at work. You know, uh, Richard War says often, pain that isn't transformed is transmitted. Pain that isn't transformed is transmitted. And there's another quote I like that might drive it home is, if you do not heal what hurts you, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. So we have to deal with our thoughts, you know, our thinking, what's going on in our head, our feelings, our emotions, what's going on in our heart, and reflect on our daily behaviors to look for lessons that help us grow, that help us become more conscious of our thoughts, feelings, and actions, that in order that we continue to grow despite the difficulties and darkness we face in the streets and now the entire culture in general attacking police officers. And I say this is our emotional and spiritual weightlifting because it is work. Like there's no magic bullet, there's no pill, there's no altar call that makes everything like hunky-dory. Like real spirituality means dealing with the suffering or even a healthy psychology means dealing with the suffering. You know, the root word in Greek of soul is psych. And the historic context is dealing with the depth of what's going on inside of us to find meaning. And this can be a very, the stuff we deal with as cops and people in general, because we're all going to face hardship and pain and loss. It's coming to all of us one way or another, one time or another. But it can be a positive thing. All the contemplative traditions and many orientations of psychology view hardship and suffering as our gateways to growth and becoming more emotionally mature if we lean into those experiences rather than run from them or distract ourselves from dealing with them, which we all naturally do. Our culture is one of comfort. We do not like discomfort. But, you know, rather than model the boozing, screwing, working overtime to buy your toys and go do adrenaline stuff, being cool and being too productive, even off duty and being hooked on adrenaline or dopamine activities as our outlets. Let's do a little bit of emotional, psychological weightlifting. Let's give our folks some training on this so they can work on their inner life and process the things we know they're going to see. As you were speaking, you talked about trauma. This one quote that has been just rattling through my brain I, I heard recently and it states unhealed trauma sits quietly in the control room of your mind dictating all the atrocities of your life <laughs> so thought a lot about spirituality and i've heard several aspects that don't deal with um traditional definitions or ways of doing quote-unquote spiritualness so what other traditions can you talk about into spirituality? I've heard you mention the, what's called contemplative tradition. Can you expound on that, please? Yeah, so uh, it can also be called the monastic tradition. So like monks, you know, and there's monks in every religion. It could, it's also known as the mystical or the wisdom traditions. So in a broad stroke, it's the aspect of each of the major religious traditions, Christian, Buddhist, and Buddhist is not technically a, a religion, but Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, they all have an aspect 
that focuses more on the mindfulness, the meditation, reflection type spiritual practices and lifestyles. And the spiritual practices and prayer forms are the tools to address suffering, mystery, life and death, the unknowns, and the discomfort we face in order that we can still find meaning. We are by nature seeking meaning, but our culture for many years now has been seeking comfort. Um, there's, in, in the contemplative traditions, the mystical traditions, there's less an emphasis on following the rules of doctrine and dogma, less worry about being intellectual, about arguing with others why your brand of religion is correct and why the other people are wrong. That's called dualistic thinking. Um, in the contemplative tradition, one uses spiritual practices to grow in non-dualistic thinking. That's moving away from seeing the world in absolute ways such as black or white, light or darkness, this or that, us against them, which is very much in our current culture, you know, people defining themselves by how they're different from other people or groups, yep. and then like totally locking it down in their camp. And, you know, the media, the politicians, the academics, and so many people in our culture blanket demonize and dehumanize cops. I mean, so cops more than anyone should understand this dualistic extreme thinking is toxic and dangerous. But we also know that cops can fall for it too when you get to that point, if you're sarcastic and jaded and you think it's us as the cops, you know, against everyone else in the community. So contemplatives use spiritual practices to focus more on, as you do them more, you recognize and become more aware and conscious of what you share in common with all human beings. You see the unity in all things. And you also recognize the world is not always in absolutes. Like some things are black, white, and there's a thousand shades of gray. And sometimes it's the paradox of this and that. And accepting the world isn't always rational with easily found answers. Does, does that make sense? It does. So what, again, another quote. I think this podcast is going to have some great sound bites <laughs> based <laughs> on quotes. Um, one more quote that comes to mind as you talked about that, and I've heard in a lot of therapy circles, is living life on life's terms and not on our terms, right? So it, I think it kind of goes to what you're talking about as this contemplative, more meditative, more taking a very, very rounded look of what spirituality is. It's not just this linear thing that you've been talking about or that we've kind of dissected where you talk, where you call it dualistic, where it's the black and white, us against them. You know, very easy for people to, to kind of gravitate towards. You know, the contemplative, I see as very holistic in everything. So in understanding the contemplative tradition better, can you describe or give examples of what that may look like in practice? Yeah, but I do want to mention something before that that just popped in my mind because of, well, first of all, all that other stuff, the dualistic thinking, the ego's in control. When you're working on your spiritual or contemplative or mystical practices, we're trying to like break the ego down to allow more of 
if it's God you believe in to be in control, um, but also to recognize that we are not in control. We just aren't. And cops should understand that because you see all kinds of stuff that is unfair and horrible. Um, and another interesting thing that just relates to what's going on right now for police officers that hurts me is I'm involved in so many different contemplative communities like yoga, Buddhist meditation, secular mindfulness, and a lot of Christian meditation and centering prayer uh, communities. And I'm on all these emails and listservs. And I am also have been on many Zooms because retreats and things turn to Zoom. What's scary and heartbreaking for cops is although every time a major shooting incident goes out, I get flooded with emails. And even from the men's spiritual groups, which I really appreciate, all of them come out and start throwing out terms over and over phrases, systemic racism, critical race theory, police abuse, racism, et cetera, et cetera. Like a lot of times our spiritual communities and the church communities are jumping on the bandwagon of the mainstream media after the shooting incidents before any investigations done and repeat the false narratives about police use of force, which essentially creates another challenge in that cops, have a hard time finding a spiritual home when our churches and spiritual communities join in the alienating or judging cops, even on, you know, like a case like Michael Brown, the truth is easily found. If people just did their due diligence, people still think that small, some small kid that got shot with his hands up in the street. I mean, people that are doctors and have PhDs still believe that. Um, they have the capacity if they were to search for the truth. Um, so that's just something that kind of breaks my heart. But I can personally say the contemplative tradition is what kept me alive and well and healthy as a cop. And also afterwards through my nightmare medical retirement and subsequent struggles with work comp and finances. Um, it's just, I've, I've met cops recently that have had to leave their churches because their pastors have jumped on a certain special interest uh, narrative and the cop bashing. So one of the messages I want to say here is on the spiritual journey, you're going to have your own responsibility to seek your own spiritual food, teachers, practices. If you want to grow beyond what they spoon feed you in mainstream religion or that you got spoon fed as a kid, like you're going to have to do work and seek things out. And it's the same as if you, your department's never going to give you enough opportunities for fitness, defensive tactics, and shooting. This is no different. You're going to have to do some stuff on your own. And I also want people to realize, in a spiritual sense, you cannot guide someone on that path, on the spiritual path, further along than you have been. So if your pastor or priest in Christianity, at least, they have no training or experience in this contemplative tradition, they cannot guide you. And if you ask about it, they may tell you it's a bad thing, you know? So, uh, no, I just want to just real quick. I don't want to interrupt you because I know you're in a fluid thought. Um, so one of the things that came to mind as you were talking about that, as far as guiding somebody on the path, you can only guide them as far as you have gone. Right. So therefore, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I equate that to, the fitness aspect, you know, people go and they hire personal trainers and you have personal trainers. I'm sorry. Some, some personal trainers look like they've never lifted a weight or, or run, you know, the two miles that they're expecting their client to do, but mm -hmm. 
but yet because they went and got a certification, they now can quote unquote tell somebody based off of that certification how to be fit, healthy, um, you know, however that is based on strength and conditioning. So one of the things that I've always done, and I'm sure, and you can talk about this ad nauseum based off of your history with uh, strength and conditioning, but I have never told a client because I've, I've trained people, I've trained young athletes, uh, basketball players mainly. I've never, I've never gone in to do a workout with them or to guide them in these workouts that I haven't done myself. Meaning mm-hmm. if I tell them to do plyometric training, the exercises I'm telling them to do based on plyos and how it helps isn't something that I've never done before. I've done it. I've seen it work yeah. from experience. So, yeah. you know, that's, that, that to me correlates with what you're talking about as far as the spiritual guide. Exactly. In the mystical and contemplative traditions, it's all about experience. It's not about head knowledge. It's not about information. I mean, people could have a PhD in contemplative practices. And actually, there's a lot of, because I have a background in sports psychology, there's a ton of sports psychologists that teach mindfulness and meditation. And I can hang out with them for five minutes and know they're full of shit and they don't meditate. You can just tell by the way they act or if you ask some questions. They're teaching about something they don't know. Or how many people want to hire somebody that has a PhD in exercise science, but they've never been an athlete, they've never worked out, they smoke cigarettes, eat Twinkies, drink Coca-Cola. Like, that is not the person you want helping you with workouts. <laughs> it's, it's about experience. Um, the contemplative tradition is also a lot about asking, what is the meaning in this experience? What is my purpose at this point in life? And what lessons can I learn even from my pain and suffering? Um, I hope the contemplative tradition makes sense. I could tell the story. There's a famous guy, James Finley or Jim Finley. He's local here. He was a monk trained under Thomas Merton. Some people may have heard of Thomas Merton. If not, Google him. He's another famous guy. So Finley was trained as a monk under Thomas Merton, later become a psychologist. He's an expert in Christianity and Buddhism and the contemplative traditions. And I go to his meditation sessions and retreats. And sometimes people get really upset that he talks He's a Christian, he's a Catholic, and a former monk, but he may talk about Rumi, who's a Sufi, which is a Muslim, and he'll talk about Buddhists. And this one guy was like getting all upset at him one time saying, how can you talk about this and that? I've been to more than one retreat where people get upset that he's talking about different religions, even though he's a Christian. And he told this story that there was a filmmaker that spent seven years of his life documentary doing a documentary on all the world's religions and afterwards somebody asked him so you spent all this time like who's right and this is kind of going back to the beginning and so i'll try to make it quick so we can move on but he said he could fill an american football stadium with a lot of people from mainstream of all those different major religions that he met and it would be as loud as a monday night football game with people yelling and screaming and arguing and maybe even going to blows, fighting over who's right. But he could take the most influential people in each of those world religions that he spent seven years with and put them in a smaller conference room. And they'd be quiet and respectful and eager to ask questions of the other people about their experiences, 
how do you grow closer to your God or how do you approach enlightenment or whatever it is that your deeper meaning is in your spiritual tradition, they would be respectful and with reverence want to seek understanding of the other's experience spiritually. That's very profound because it goes to mental health in the sense of addiction. And when I say that, I say that not only firsthand, but I say that because the contemplative tradition is about asking questions, not only to yourself, but to others. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a quote again that states, you are only as open as, as good as your questions. Meaning, if you don't ask questions, that shows how closed off you are to whatever's being told to you. Mm -hmm. And to me, to ask questions shows the not only intent to want to know and to gain further knowledge, and to not ask questions is really sad. And I'm glad you brought up that documentary because you know, you, you, it kind of segues into the kind of alphabet soup of who you are and what you accomplished. Um, you're a certified spiritual director. Can you tell the listeners what that means? Yeah, direction may not be the best word. It's more about being a spiritual companion with other people and helping them with their prayer life or their spiritual practices in order that they can try to become more aware of how God, if you believe in God, or if you don't believe in God, replace the word with, you know, meaning or the mystery that you think is running the show down here or karma. So how, how can you become more aware of how God, how love, how meaning is showing up in your daily lives at work, at home and the good times and also the bad times, not just, in times of religious services or prayer. That's not just when God shows up or divinity. And it has a lot to do with, like you just said, that quote, asking a lot of good questions and listening intently, which I think is important for all of us with each other and for good peer support is truly listen and help people find the answers for themselves, not giving people unsolicited advice and things like that. So spiritual direction is companion, being a companion for people on the spiritual journey, being a good listener, asking a lot of questions to try them to help them become more aware of, you know, God showing up in their daily life. Got you. Okay. So word spiritual, inner, contemplative, we've talked about a lot of different things. So can you, can you talk about, so what is the inner life? What is the spiritual life then? There's a lot we could look that word up and get tons of definitions. I'm gonna just give you my opinion on a simple working definition for spirituality. It's been helpful to me and many people that I work with. Spirituality is in part the living out daily of our most important values, beliefs, and highest ideals of our true self. It's also in part how we relate to other human beings and humanity, to how we find meaning and purpose in life, mm -hmm. and, our, and also, our relationship with God or a higher power or karma or whatever mystery you think's running the show down here that's beyond 
our control beyond our ego. Um, so maybe in a simplistic and generic sense, it's working on becoming more aware of and then reflecting on our thoughts. Then if we were on video, I point to my head. What's going on in your head? Our feelings. And I grab my heart. More aware and conscious of our thoughts, our feelings, and our daily behaviors and actions throughout the day. And then asking, what's the meaning I can discover in this situation? What lessons can I learn? And what is my purpose at this point in life to help humanity in the position that I hold? Hopefully you're doing this as a police officer. That's in, con that's in contrast to us being constantly reactive, unconscious of our thinking, feelings or actions. And many times, um, while we're off duty, just being stuck in our heads, constantly analyzing everything, trying to figure out and control all aspects of our lives. And for those of us with religious beliefs, being stuck in the following the rules type stuff to get to heaven or please God. Then when things don't go well or make sense, we feel guilty or we're wondering if we're being punished or doing something wrong or not praying right or not doing this or that according to whatever perception we have from our childhood religious teachings. And a lot of times, maybe just walking away from our faith life because we're not finding meaning or being spiritually fed anymore. We just often feel like shit. Like when we learn to be more aware of and conscious of what's going on in our lives, we can respond rather than react. And we can look for lessons in our experiences that allow us to be more compassionate, wise, and emotionally intelligent. Let me ask you this. You, you, you've talked about uh, certain struggles with law enforcement. Um, do you think there's an aspect, and, and this is kind of off topic, I just, it just kind of came to mind. Do you think there's an aspect of religious abuse within law enforcement or even within just general, like religious abuse in the sense where people use religion almost as a way to stigmatize people? And I've seen it not only in personal life, but I've also seen it in law enforcement, where you have somebody who's in an authority position, who mm -hmm. they deem as their moral character, as the highest moral character, because let's say they're the chief, or they're the deputy chief, or they're a captain, or they're somebody over a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. And so they look at their moral high ground, and then all of a sudden, when something bad happens to somebody else, they can, in a sense, thwart that authority based on their moral superiority in their mind, based on their religious views over that person. Have you seen that? I'm sure that happens all the time. I mean, just, I mean, are we just, in a sense, we're talking about hypocrites, uh, the people where the ego is still running the show, right. and, and then maybe they're somehow actually attributing that to their relationship with God. But let me just tell you, one of my favorite quotes of one of my favorite theology professors is, if it's not of love, it's not of God. Mm. That's huge. So, so, so we, <laughs> that's, that's huge. I mean, that, that, that right there kind of encapsulates the antithesis of what I just talked about. And so law enforcement officers have struggled. Like we've established that in so many ways uh, within this talking. 
and mm-hmm. the lack of traditional ways that we've talked about in spirituality don't seem to help for some reason or another, as we've discussed, right? So we've talked about some practices and a lot of mindset changing. Can mm-hmm. you provide ideas on the practical or the feasible ways that law enforcement officers can do or be more spiritual in relation to what we've talked about this far? Yeah, and I I would say let's not even have to say spiritual, just in case there's some people out there that are like, I don't want anything to do with spirituality. If you want to live a better life emotionally and psychologically, like you're going to have to do some emotional weightlifting. You're going to have to do some work. And the simplest thing that I can advise or suggest that people do is right after your shift, if it's possible, or sometime before bed, do an quote armor down routine where you go somewhere quiet in the house or wear headphones if it's necessary um, because if it's noisy around you. And if you have the headphones, just do nature sounds or classical music, something without lyrics so it's not distracting. And reflect back on your shift on the major calls and try to remember what were you thinking on them and just take note. You probably, you know, weren't conscious of it because we're, we have to be reactionary as cops and take care of business. So now this is about slowing it down, reflecting back on the big calls of the day and go, what was I thinking? And just take note of it. And then as you imagine, and and when you do that, use all five senses. Play the video, play the movie in your head of that call with all of your senses. Can you see what emotions come up? I mean, on the calls, we don't feel emotions because we are in charge of the scene and have to control everybody else's emotions. Now, as you imagine, reflect on the call, what emotions come up that you can identify? And then the last step, is reviewing your actions and behaviors on calls and ask yourself if how you handled each call lives up to your beliefs, your values, and the highest ideals of your true self. And this is the spirituality piece. Seeing if how we live day to day and treat others is aligned with whatever we profess our beliefs to be. Like you were just talking about supervisors and chiefs that are the holy rollers, but treat people like crap, like, Is their spirituality lining up with what they are professing their religious beliefs to be? Um, Does that make sense? Like, how am I treating people day to day is what's most important, not what I say my beliefs are, not what my quote witness is. Or as my, my favorite quote that I think I said before on the other podcast, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, Preach the gospel at all times when absolutely necessary, use words. <laughs> Be quick to listen and slow to speak as you say that. That's what comes to my head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, he, here's the thing. Everything that you talk about makes complete sense. Um, and, and it is an absolute necessary thing for law enforcement to be able to armor down, as you just stated. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is the armoring down that is mental. 
you're talking about using the five senses and there is a uh -huh. There was, a, there was a technique that was taught to me through just therapy and, you know, talking with people. Um, it's called the 54321 method. Mm -hmm. and that's, using, that's using all the five senses, meaning whatever is triggering you or whatever you're thinking about, whatever is angering you, whatever that is, close your eyes for a second. And then as you open your eyes, you take a deep breath and then you open your eyes. As soon as you open your eyes, you use sight. Na see five things and say it out loud to yourself. Mm -hmm. Then you go to four. Okay, whatever you hear, let's say you hear a car horn. Let's say you hear a bird singing. Whatever it is, you name that. And so it goes on, so on. So three, two, one. So what I've been told is that this helps you, in a sense, go from your reptilian brain, which is the fight or flight uh, kind of aspect of your brain, which is in the back of your brain. And then it helps you get back into your prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking brain, which you can actually um, you can do what you're talking about, which is you can go to that tough call. You can go to what your day is about. You can sit there and scan how you felt about those things. You can mm -hmm. smell what you smelled on that call. And mm -hmm. you, can, you can do this, right? So, you know, it, it, it is an absolute necessary thing. And that needs to be taught within law enforcement uh, itself. So, we're talking about a lot of different things. We're, we're getting into a lot of aspects, contemplative, traditional um, things. There's a pain and a struggle, right? That's necessary for growth. I think mm -hmm. that we're, we're kind of touching on. Um, can you reshare kind of your story in the pain that you went through and how you turn that pain into growth in a betterment for yourself in the spiritual sense or the emotional in the physical sense or all three? Oh, well, man, I could do three hours on this, but the first few years of being medically retired, I was fat and horrific shape and hurting in every way. Like walking on the treadmill was painful. And, but I had to move through it the best I could. And also I remember going to my weekly neurofeedback, which is like meditating while they're measuring your brain waves and your heart rate and your heart rate variability. And also then I did an hour of psychotherapy sessions at times after. So I'd be driving to the neurofeedback and psychotherapy sessions, dreading them because I quickly realized that if the psychiatrist noticed something bothered me, like he would watch me like a hawk. If I tensed up, did I sigh, take a deep breath or try to dodge the topic? And then he would freaking dig in more. So I was like, God, I'd be driving to the sessions. And this image eventually came to mind of accepting my disability issues, accepting I am no longer uh, this warrior cop, you know, or that's what I wanted to be. And I had a forced retirement. The images of a deep wound that was severely infected and scabbed over. And maybe this even had some gangrene going on. And the therapy was like taking a Brillo pad with rubbing alcohol and scrubbing out the infection. It hurt like hell. 
It wasn't pleasant. But over time, there was less and less infection. And eventually, the wounds healed. But there's still a scar, but it's a much less visible scar. And I believe this is what good therapy does. This is what working on your inner life or your spiritual life does. We're scrubbing away at the infections of old and new wounds alike, baggage from all aspects of our lives, so they can heal over better with less of a noticeable scar. Um, and rather than us thinking or trying to move forward with that infection, denying it, you know, which could end up in amputation if you let gangrene go, or thinking that if we just believed the right things in some religious tradition and followed the rules or had positive thinking or whatever this pop psych, pop psych stuff is, that we won't have to deal with the pain. Like, you got to deal with it or that infection's going to grow. And, you know, let's remember through this, we are warriors as cops. We're not victims. We were called to be in law enforcement and accepted the stakes. And so just as you push through things physically in the academies or other training, you need to do that emotionally and psychologically as well. And that will result in emotional, spiritual, psychological growth. Again, do not numb and distract ourselves from pain or deny the infections that might be festering in our wounds. We got to scrub on them. So that, I mean, that's a beautiful analogy. I love that. I love the fact that you just put that like as an image because I think everybody can relate to that, you know, just even as as simple as, you know, watering, using water to scrub dirt off your hands, right? To clean yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we've been talking a lot about, you know, different traditions, whether it's contemplative or even traditional in the sense of Christianity, um, which is all great, right? So what about the cops or law enforcement people or heck, even first responders out there that listen to this podcast? What about them that don't believe in anything religious or spiritual? Like what, what how does this relate to them? Like what can you tell them um, that can kind of resonate? Well, they might actually have an easier time engaging the inner life because they don't have the baggage that others do that creates obstacles if they're open-minded enough to try some of this stuff, you know? Just like, uh, have you heard when somebody goes to a police academy, the firearms instructors want to know who's, like, from the military or who grew up shooting because, like, oh, crap, we got all these bad habits to break, Right. If you're totally fresh, you can teach people things without um, their old bad habits. So if somebody is like, I'm not religious, I'm not spiritual, I don't have any of that, you know, keep the spiritual and the God language out of it, but apply some of these techniques that we're talking about, you know, reflecting mm -hmm. on your thinking and your feeling. And, you know, if you... If you are religious, when you were, I do want to say, when you reflect on your days and calls, if they're, you, if you are or not, doesn't matter. You can think about, are there areas you could have responded better or you didn't live up to your values or beliefs? Simply think about a more appropriate response to do the next time. And if you're religious or spiritual, but you believe in God, ask God to help you choose the better response next time. But if not, just leave out that language, you know? Um, and if you're, you believe in God, you recognize God's presence. Or if you don't, you can, you know, just say, where, where did I feel peace 
and deep purpose and meaning and gratitude for the opportunity to be involved in certain calls or joy in certain interactions or recognize how things just seem to work out right, even if it initially didn't appear as they would. Does that make sense? Like, uh, I hope it's as simple as, you know, to some degree of just removing the God language. It definitely makes sense. Because, because, because ultimately, I think what you're talking about is that even if it's not, uh, quote unquote, G-O-D, God, or whatever it is, just like in the just just like in the addiction world, when you talk about AA meetings of any sort, they talk about a powerlessness. They talk about, you know, praying to your higher power. Um, mm -hmm. And even if you're an atheist, there is something, I may be completely wrong, but there is something that you feel bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so there are things that you can look at within law enforcement that you know you know there's something bigger than yourself on why you were at a certain call, why you were dealing with somebody, why this person, why now, um, how you dictate yourself as far as whether you're a detective and you catch a certain case, if you're a street officer and you, know, you don't have any belief, I think you do, it's just that you're not calling it, as you say, G-O-D. Yeah. I mean, they say there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? And cops see stuff, and I'm not saying that we see the same stuff that combat veterans do, but we see bad stuff, and we see it regularly over the course of a much longer career. And it makes you, as I said, deeply connected to the mysteries of life, whether you want to consciously acknowledge it or not. And theologically, God is the ultimate, you know, mystery. Although a lot of religious people, when we're trained when we're younger, our egos want to keep God in a box to think we have all the answers figured out using scriptures in a very literal sense. Actually, when so much of the scriptures and all of the traditions is symbolic with much deeper meanings. We've talked about this offline. But people like to use religion as if they have complete control of their lives, which is an illusion. I mean, actually, when people hear the word myth, they think it means false. But if you look up what mythology is, it's the use of stories in all of the religions to teach deep truths and wisdoms about how to navigate life. And this would offend some people. And it offended me when I first heard it, I think, 20 plus years ago. Both Catholic and Protestant theologians will say this. Everything in the Bible is true. And some of it actually happened. The meaning of life, whether you're spiritual or not, is held more in the unconscious and the depths of our soul or psyche than it is in literal things and information. It's in the experiences. You know, for a lot of religious people, maybe the salvation piece is figured out for them. But what about the day-to-day -day unknowns and questions that come up from all the stuff we see as a cop? It's going to happen to everyone at some point where circumstances break them down and make them surrender the illusion of control, which breaks down the ego. And that results in less of our false self and more room for God or divinity, mystery, the unknown wisdom, you know, whatever you want to call it. And as we get better at working on our inner life, 
and making our, our thinking and our feelings and our behaviors more conscious and we're more aware of them and chipping away at our baggage, we get closer to our true self. And our true self and God are two sides of the same coin. And spirituality is just a vehicle for growth, to chew on, process, and reflect on our experiences. It's the people we meet, the violence, addictions, pain, and the misery we're exposed to. You have an opportunity to transform all of that stuff rather than transmit it. But it takes work. No different than it takes work at the gym and in the kitchen to have a higher level of fitness to be proficient at our jobs. I love it. Everything. Honestly, I do. And I think this is a, it's a very needful topic. Um, One of the biggest takeaways that I've heard in some of your podcasts, um, the other ones that you've done, is that there are phases in a law enforcement officer's career. Uh, Can you go into that and the different phases and how that relates to like spirituality and growth or even in non-growth? So we, well, we, uh, throughout our careers, we have to continually ask the quote, why we do this job question and keep a pulse on that. Because if the answer ever falls into the category of it's just for money and security, you're on a slippery slope, brother or sister, and you're not going to last as long with as much meaning and productivity or be as resilient to the stress and trauma. Man, if being a cop has just become a job for financial benefits and not a calling, not an adventure, not a way to grow and find meaning in life and serve the community with a purpose, it's going to be harder to run to the sounds of the gunfire just for money or to be motivated to train, to fight for your life or that of your partners or to be in the middle of a fight for your life and be like, dude, what is this really worth it? Like, Your motivational why has to be more than a paycheck. As Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Or many people are probably familiar with Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning, or the psychological orientation of logotherapy. And if not, Viktor Frankl, the book, Man's Search for Meaning, great book to read. Those who can continue to find meaning in their circumstances can continue to live and thrive in the worst of circumstances. But when people lose meaning, they die figuratively or literally in the case of, he was a Jewish psychiatrist in a Nazi concentration camp. And he recognized when people lost meaning and hope, like they literally, they died. So it just keeps going back to all the contemplative traditions and the various religions teach about finding meaning and growth in our suffering. Or a more current orientation related to this concept is post-traumatic growth. That's an area of more modern psychology that anybody could Google and buy some books on. I think a good book on that is called Upside by Jim Rendon, I think. Um, Pick up any of these areas to study more about this. How can you keep finding meaning? Asking the question, why am I a cop? And if it's just for our money, that's going to require some work on your end to find meaning again, especially in 2020 and 2021 with everything that's going on. Two words, stagnation and complacency, I think affects what this, what you're talking about right here, which is the non-growth, right? Like 
the phases of uh, a police land and an officer is that you get to a place where you are complacent mm -hmm. and you stagnate. Whether you used to be physically fit, you stop being physically fit. And so therefore that affects your mental uh, complacency in the sense of you're just complacent and just doing what the basic needs are in the job. And then, uh, so that's the antithesis of what you're talking about, which is the post-traumatic growth. And I've heard that term. I think we can probably do a whole nother podcast based off of that. Um, and that is a fairly new term for me. I've never, I've never really heard about that, but it sounds the opposite of turning something that has been traumatic, obviously, after an incident and making it into a growth thing um, mm -hmm. in a more positive aspect. So can I ask you, we've talked about a lot of stuff and when it comes to spirituality, most people equate certain aspects or certain actions of spirituality such as prayer. Mm -hmm. So what is prayer and how do you pray? Oh, okay. Um, well, people define prayer in a lot of different ways, just like they would spirituality or the word soul or spirit. Um, often our perception of prayer is whatever we got as kids and our formal religious education or experiences at home, if we had either. So for me, I view praying growing up as saying memorized prayers of all kinds or asking God for things I wanted asking for help in whatever areas I needed, asking for forgiveness of sins, saying thank you for, you know, answered prayers or blessings, or, you know, just having conversations in my head and heart with Jesus, God, or the Holy Spirit. It was very limited, to be honest. And I often thought it had to be very formal, set aside time, maybe even like on my knees, hands folded in prayer, or it had to be like in church services or prayer groups. Um, I will now, and these are, this is a definition I've gotten from other people. This is not my original, original idea, but prayer can be more generally defined as whatever I can do or whatever you out there can do that makes you more aware of the presence of God or allows you to be more present in the moment where you're not dwelling in the past or worrying about the future or you're spending time doing things that center you, that ground you, that allow you to experience peace, tranquility, joy, whatever makes you more appreciative and aware of the sacred, the divine, holy, what, what makes you feel reverence for life. So something as simple as sitting in nature, snuggling with your dog, gardening, holding a child, breath work, yoga, various forms of mindfulness and meditation, Manual labor, fishing, hunting, hiking, journaling is a great option. There are so many options for spending time in, quote, prayer or, quote, with God. I mean, it's infinite. And this is how I think we pray ceaselessly, as it says in Thessalonians. You know, when I was younger, that passage confused me because it made me feel like I had to go to churches many times. And I used to go to daily mass, and I got a lot out of it at one point in my life. But I used to also force myself to, like, got to go to so many Bible studies, got to go to so many prayer groups. I got to like, please God or show God that I, I love him or whatever. Uh, we cannot earn God's love or force spiritual growth by making, you know, prayer time homework and 
saying we have to take out all these timeouts during the day to officially pray on our knees. If you look at the monastic traditions, and there's a great documentary called Into Great Silence, it's like a three and a half hour documentary that has hardly any talking, maybe 10 minutes in the three and a half hours of one of just the one or two of the older monks. But it follows these monks around to show what they do day in and day out. And there's a variety of things they're doing to spend time with God. And it's not all along the lines of like formally praying on their knees. It includes things like the journaling and reading and reflecting and spending time in nature and doing manual labor. Um, contemplative prayer might be thought of in a variety of ways, such as resting in God's presence, listening to God rather than talking and requesting things nonstop. Contemplative prayer as reflecting and chewing on our life experiences in order to learn lessons and grow emotionally and psychologically. And it's more about having a two-way street with the divine rather than a one-way street. A very simplistic beginner prayer life of sending requests, thanks, praises, and filling God in on what's going on in our lives, which that can keep us stuck in our heads and not drop down into our hearts. Like silence and solitude are so important. You know, I've said this before, too much of our religious formation keeps us stuck in our heads intellectualizing, defending our ticket to heaven, or trying to convert other people to our way of believing. Like, can we rather think about, let's just chill in God's love for us, and let's listen to the wisdom we might hear if we're quiet enough. What? Does that yeah, man, that, that, that resonates so much because you see so many different things, whether it's tatted on movies or major religious uh, circles with let's say the Jewish or the Muslim or even Christianity there are all these prayer ways and it's very repetitive it's very repetitious and it's very as you would say it's very uh, just formal and it's almost as I look at this prayer life from that sense as a as a tit for tat, right? I did this. So let's take Catholicism. People go into confessional and they have a prayer, right? With the priest in there, mm -hmm. their confessional. And they also, what? Have rosaries where every bead they're praying. And mm -hmm. so, these are things that are, in a sense, matching this kind of like expectation of, you know, what you need to do in order for you to, in a sense, earn your way to, as you put it in previous, to heaven to see this white bearded guy or whatever it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about prayer in a very... Uh, I think in a deeper meaning and a more personal meaning. And what, what do you think as far as like what everybody should think about when it comes to just kind of like when they pray within this kind of contemplative thing? Well, first I do want to say that things like the rosary were not meant to be the way we take it. Like, let me do this to earn my way to heaven or forgive my sins. And it was meant to be, 
reflective and contemplative. It was. <laughs> There's, this is a discussion. We've moved away. This would go into the history of Christianity. We'd have to talk about the Enlightenment, <laughs> the Protestant Reformation. Christianity, I mean, I will say this. Christianity was contemplative until everybody started arguing about which branch of Christianity was right. Then also we had the Enlightenment where the rational mind was the most important thing. So back in the day, Christians used to pray in a meditative and a reflective way. But then it turned into, no, 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 I'm more right than you and I'm going to heaven and you're not. And it got intellectual. So there's a whole history lesson behind all that. But what I would want people to think about, what places, what activities, or even people do you spend time with that just sort of make you forget about the concept of time and you recognize that you get some kind of maybe emotional or spiritual buzz. You feel so much peace or appreciation for life. You feel restored or energized after. You know, granted, not all prayer will be like this. The things we're talking about before, you know, the armor down as you reflect on things, it is going to be tough or you are going to have to use the Brillo pad and the alcohol, you know, to scrub on your wounds. But you want to find prayer practices that feed your soul in a manner and, and bring you peace, right? So what reminds you of the presence of, presence of God or the sacredness of life or holiness or divinity? What grounds you, centers you, brings you peace and joy and helps you stop analyzing in your head and rather drop down into your heart just to be lost in the moment. I can tell you something I do a few times a week is go over to my friend's house that has a little dog that we named Bodie. And that dog snuggles into me and no matter how stressed I am, like, dude, I'm just, my brain turns off. This dog loves me. Like I recognize the presence of God in the moment and in that dog and it chills me out. So let's, that's, my let's, daughter. that's my daughter with me whenever she gives me a hug. It's like everything. Uh, that's beautiful. So we got to just don't be so rigid about how we think about prayer. Also, I want to make note, as I said before, do not make prayer forced homework assignments, which so many people seem to do at a certain stage in their spiritual growth, thinking it's necessary to do so much of this or that. And I got to do so many devotionals. And if I do read these three devotionals, I can't skip a day like God's going to be pissed if I don't do them, you know, like do not make prayer homework. If something doesn't feed you, but makes you feel like it's some sort of obligation, get rid of it. That's not good. You cannot earn God's love by claiming you did more prayer homework than the next guy. And another note that, it, that just to know if it hasn't happened yet, it may, is just like our communication evolves in relationships with humans, it can evolve and change in our prayer life with God. So maybe something that was feeding you for a very long time eventually no longer seems to be working. The natural inclination is, and I've been through this as many other people that I've worked with, they, they think or I think, oh my God, I'm sinning or I'm not trying hard enough or I'm not doing it right. Prayer is not something that you have to, you know, try hard or do it correctly. Same with meditation and mindfulness, all these things. Like, and it doesn't mean you're sinning. It's, but it's what we tend to feel when it happens. 
So we like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna force more prayer. I'm gonna revert back to older ways of praying. I'm gonna go back to the old prayer cards I had as kids, grasping for comfort, feelings, you know, or experiences we previously had in our prayer time. But what actually could be happening is simply God is inviting you to a deeper way of praying. To a, and often that's a contemplative practice where God's inviting you to rest in His presence, to chill out, or to listen. Stop doing all the talking. What kind of a relationship is it when one person does all of the talking nonstop and they don't sit quietly and attentively listen to you? That is not a healthy relationship. So, you know, prayer, it can be like workouts and exercises. Some of them aren't meant to be repeated forever or you won't keep improving or you have to change variables over time or as you age or get injuries. Things change. You do different workouts. You do different exercises. It, it can evolve. It takes experimentations. And what works for someone else may not work for you. So don't get hung up on trying to mimic somebody else's prayer life or meditation or mindfulness style. I mean, when it comes to yoga and meditation and contemplative prayer, uh, just have an open mind. And if anybody tells you there's one right way for everyone at all times in their lives, like my advice is run the other way. Cause it's the same person that, that says that CrossFit's the only way for everybody at all times in their life. So when I'm 65 and banged up, that's the only thing I can do or I can't work out or power lifting or, or you pick it or the diet. Vegan's the only way. Carnivore's the only way. Keto's the only way. Anybody that tells you there's only one way to do your journey and it's right for everybody, like I would consider uh, not listening to them and do some of your own exploration. So does, does this make sense? Completely. The first thing that came to mind as you were talking about prayer is the tool belt for law enforcement officers and the reason i thought of the tool belt which is your gun belt that they give you as you come into the job as they call it the sam brown and then you start affixing all these different things to the belt right the gun the holster the oc spray and and it's holding the light that holds your flashlight the bullets the 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 uh, magazine case that holds your extra bullets, mm -hmm. whatever else you want to put on that belt, these are all things that you possibly can utilize when you're on the job. And they're all different and they're all for different things. And they may work for one situation and it may not work for another situation. Mm -hmm. So when I thought, when I was thinking of what you were talking about as far as prayer life, it's not one size fits all, as you stated. Mm. It's, not, it's not this one thing. Somebody says, no, you got to pray like this, or no, you should be doing this. And same with what we've been talking about as far as spirituality. You know, it's not one size fits all. It's not this one dogmatic approach. Mm -hmm. um, so when we get into all this, that's what I kept thinking about. I kept thinking about how, man, this relates to that that gun belt, that, that Batman belt that law enforcement officers carry every single day. Mm -hmm. Now, we're kind of getting to the end of here. And I wanted to ask you just, you know, again, um, 
as I did last episode, just your thoughts, your suggestions, any other suggestions based on everything that we've talked about that would be beneficial to those that are listening. Uh, this is going to sound repetitive, but I hope if somebody rides this out for the hour, hour and a half, we've been chatting. Implement something that's an armor down ritual after work or before bed, where you work on becoming more aware of your thinking, feelings, and reflecting on your actions to see if they align with your beliefs and values. Next, find some, quote, spiritual practices or, quote, ways of praying that help ground you, center you, and allow you to work through your life stress and adversity. It might be checking out different kinds of breath work, yoga, different styles of meditation, mindfulness. If you're a Christian, you could look up something called centering prayer. You could also look up something called Lexio Divina, and that's spelled L-E-C-T-I-O-D-I-V-I-N-A. That's a way to reflect, reflectively read and you can do it with scripture or any, any, any type of reading. The Ignatian examine, that's sort of what the armor down routine was that I did and based the one I, I told you guys about, the Ignatian examine. Or taking time in nature is a simple but beautiful one. And all of us need to take time to turn off our electronic gadgets and just sit in silence. That's an, that's an easy spiritual practice. I'm going to take 10 minutes a day with no cell phone on, no TV, no radio, no internet. And I'm going to sit in quiet. A gratitude journal is a great spiritual practice. Um, find a spiritual director. That might be difficult to find one that understands cops unless you live by me. But Spiritual Director International, SDI, Spiritual Director International, has a website. You can type in your zip code and look for a spiritual director. I've had some amazing ones throughout my police career that had no police or military background, but they were amazing. Um, if you're not into that, find mentors, elders, clergy you trust, find older, wiser people to share your story with, and that's going to help you grow. Ask them for guidance. You know, ask them what books they've read that meant something to them. And go read books to find different spiritual teachers that you feel you might align with where you are in your life right now. And if possible, go to retreats and workshops with different spiritual teachers and communities. And you, the meditation communities, the mindfulness communities, the centering prayer communities, or just, oh, what is the website? Out of Colorado, Contemplative Outreach. Maybe it's contemplativeoutreach.com or .org. They list a bunch of different things. Um, Find, if you can, find spiritual communities within your faith organizations that might be geared towards first responders. There's some of those. Um, having community is so important in our lives. Relationships um, and community is the number one factor in longevity, and it plays a huge role in resistance, re resilience, not resistance. Um, or maybe, like you've talked about this, create your own first responder group in your area. Do small group sharing using way of counsel so google way of counsel it's a great way to do small group sharing you can look up the guidelines uh the men's group illumin i-l-l-u-m-a-n their website has ways to do explains how to do way of counsel and they may even have a men's group in your area if you're interested in that type of thing there's they do some great stuff but i'll also warn you 
I'm in California and there's a bunch of the anti-cop stuff. And so depending on where you are, a small group with the Lumen may be a great thing. The retreats are great. I've been on them, but might depend on their politics, how comforting it is right now. Um, but yeah, having quiet time or if you have somebody that has any experience in any form of meditation or mindfulness, sitting with people in silence is a powerful thing, especially if you're of the same faith tradition and maybe you have some of the familiar ways of praying that everybody finds a comfort in, well, get after it. It doesn't, that, that other type of prayer that I talked about, it doesn't mean it's bad, but I just hope that people that are out there that might be Christians are open to going even deeper. But if you're in a group just sitting in silence and then doing some of the common memorized or verbal prayers can be a beautiful thing. And don't judge your experiences with other people or by yourself. If you're getting together with other people, other first responders to share stories and sit in silence, that's powerful and healing. Uh, there's a book, Dr. Ed Tick, The Warrior's Return. It's about veterans and how they heal looking at old tribal cultures, but I think a lot applies to police officers. Another simple thing you can do is make a timeline. Consider making a timeline of your life and mark down the periods where you had the most pain and or the most growth emotionally, psychologically, or in your faith life, and reflect on those times. Like, how, how and why did you grow through those times? Or if it's a painful period that you're still holding on to, maybe you need to sort through it and look for the lessons. Journal about them. Speak to a mentor, a therapist, or, or clergy about them. What are you still holding on to in your life? What might still be spilling out into other areas of your life where you're transmitting pain to others? or you're holding yourself back from living a more satisfying and fuller life. If people have stuff from childhood out there and they haven't dealt with it, maybe now's the time. And just writing it down can bring healing. Sharing it with a mentor or a therapist can bring healing and it can help you learn lessons. Even if people just sit and listen to your story and they don't respond, it is healing. And remember, as cops, you see a lot of bad stuff. Pain that isn't transformed is transmitted. If you do not heal what hurt you, you will bleed on those who didn't cut you. So do your emotional, your psychological, your spiritual weightlifting. And don't neglect the body in your spiritual life. Uh, that's a whole other topic. We, as, as a Christian, you're, you're an embodied spirituality. Jesus came down here in the flesh and he resurrected in the flesh. Like, and just psychology alone, we store stress and trauma in our bodies and we need to address that. So maybe try a regular massage, a sensory deprivation float tank, acupuncture, cryotherapy, cupping, sauna, a stretch session, neurofeedback, something like that once a week or every few weeks to kind of unwind and tone down the hypervigilance in your body and any stress or trauma you might be storing in your body. That's a bevy of ways and a bevy of things for suggestions on how to armor down. I, I really appreciate everything that you, um, that you inform, not only me on, but also the listeners that are going to be listening to this podcast. Matt Damiancic, thank you so much for just your voice and uh, the courage that you have in putting everything out there and 
just all the work that you do um, out in uh, California. And uh, I hope whoever listens to this uh, can definitely reach out uh, to me at uh, brownie3217 at gmail.com at brownie3217gmail.com. And Matt, do you want to go ahead and plug your email address if somebody has questions? Sure. Yeah, you can use Matt, M-A-T-T, period, Domiancic, D-O-M-Y-A-N-C-I-C, at globalassociates.org. So my full name, Matt, period, D-O-M-Y-A-N-C-I-C, at globalassociates.org. Um, or you can send me a message on Instagram at thin blue line spirituality, thin blue line spirituality, or if the only way you can contact MC and you can get all my information. If there's any cops out there, I'd love to help you. If you need resources, if you want book lists on this stuff, I got tons of book suggestions. If you need resources for treatment facilities, or uh, retreats if you're hurting, uh, get in touch and hopefully eventually one of these days, even though I'm a caveman, I'll get a website up where I'll do some blogging and have lots of books and the retreats and the treatment facilities all listed for people in one easy place. I'm going to also have uh, some of the books that you have given me uh, in a list here in the show notes. So people can look at them on the show notes. I'll put your email in the show notes as well. And again, Matt Damiancic, thank you so much, sir. Uh, It's a privilege and an honor to have you on. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, brother. I hope this was helpful to some cops out there. I really do.